what is the most common, the most costly, and the most deadly of all natural disasters? Do you think you can guess? We'll give you the answer when we come back. Practical Prepping Podcast. We're helping everyday people become prepared for whatever emergencies come our way. Where gear is good, but knowledge is better because the more you know, the less you have to carry. We're your hosts, Mark and Krista Lawley. Hey, have you subscribed to the Practical Prepping newsletter? It is free. It's a bi-weekly email newsletter. You can sign up for it. There are tips and lists and ideas for prepping. We also do a lot of research to give you a heads up on items of which we might see shortages. So if you haven't subscribed, you need to. Just send us an email at info at practicalprepping.info or go to our website and click on contact us and let us know that you want the free newsletter. Well, hello and welcome to the podcast. We're glad you're with us today. And we also want to thank Jim Curtis Knives for sponsoring the podcast today. If you're not familiar with Jim Curtis Knives, he is a custom knife maker. He makes some absolutely gorgeous and absolutely functional knives. Krista has gifted me two in the last year and a half or so, and I love both of them. They have different purposes, and I'm proud to wear them. Now, Jim Curtis Knives come with a lifetime guarantee. They come with lifetime sharpening, and they come with two Band-Aids. Yes, they're really that sharp. Thank you for going to our Amazon banner on the website to do your Amazon shopping. This is a favor that you're doing to us. When you go to our website, click on the Amazon banner, sign into your regular account, and do your regular shopping. It doesn't cost you any extra to go through our website. But because we are an affiliate, we do get compensated when you do your shopping. And that really does help support the podcast. We thank you for this. Thank you for doing that. Keep doing that. And let your friends and family know to do that as well. Again, thank you for the Amazon shopping that you do from the banner on our website. So what's the answer to the question, what's the most deadly natural disaster there is? The answer is flood And we've seen a lot of flooding around the United States lately. There's been some very bad flooding throughout America. South and uh, Kentucky comes to Mm -hmm. mind. And Mississippi had some very devastating floods. Nevada. Uh, Nevada has some. And even California, even drought-stricken California, has endured some very terrible floods in the last few days. And that's just in the United States. Pakistan has had a very devastating, many, many people killed in the floods in Pakistan. Mm -hmm. So what we want to do today is talk about floods and what to do with floods. And, you know, I've got the GR Level 3 radar up right behind my computer here, the other computer for the podcast. And on it, it lists various types of warnings across the United States. And one of the things that I don't pay a lot of attention to, and a lot of folks don't pay a lot of attention to, and that is flash flood warnings. I know. Once the rain starts falling, I think we become aware of heavy rainfall, and especially if we're out driving in it. But a lot of times, even when the weather broadcasters are talking on the radio or if you're at home and TV, and they say there's a flash flood watch or a flash flood warning, 
yeah, admittedly, I think sometimes it does go in one ear and out the other. And we don't pay as much of attention to that until we get caught in it. And then that's a game changer. It's probably because of normalcy bias. And I say that because it's not happened to us before. Yeah. We've not been caught in a flood, so it's not that much on our radar, pun intended. And until we moved here, I had pretty much most of my life lived up some type of hill. Growing oh, okay. up, uh, the yeah. the back porch, uh, the ground level at the back of the house was about eight or nine feet above the level of the creek. It's ironic, too, because I lived across town from you, mm-hmm. and my backyard flooded regularly. Oh, yeah. I mean, I could look out the back door, and I thought that I was in a houseboat. But thankfully, your house sat up just a little bit. Thankfully, Whoever... it did, but we did get basement flooding. Yes, and... I've seen it where it went into the house and up seven feet inside the house. Yikes. So we'll talk about some of that. But flooding is one of the most common and the most costly and the most deadly of all natural disasters. Do you know that deadly flooding events can occur in all 50 states? And have. Now, realizing when we're saying this, we're talking about over a period of time. Now, there are individual incidents where more people can be killed, and one that comes to mind is not a natural disaster, but that was the attack on the World Trade Center, and on America, Washington, and New York uh, 21 years ago yesterday on September the 11th, and we saw over 3,000 people killed there, so Flooding may not be the most devastating event in near history, but it is across all time. Well, yes, you know, flooding can often take place over several days, maybe even weeks. And therefore, the long-term damage and the amount of damage increases exponentially as that time passes. So even though it may not on day one initially have loss of life, the property destruction and the potential down the road for loss of life is certainly there. I mean, think about the flooding events that have taken place after Hurricane Katrina. Mm -hmm. It has been said that the initial force of the hurricane did take lives, but it was the flooding afterward that took the most lives. Exactly. And the same thing happened in Galveston, Texas, after a hurricane when eight thousand people died yes that was in 1990 and i think it has fallen out of memory but i had actually forgotten that all told once that entire event had concluded that that level of death had taken place it's astounding yes it is now some of the things that we need to understand about water is that six inches of water can sweep you off of your feet. You know, and that's the thing a lot of people don't seem to understand. They look out their window and they might see a small amount of water traveling or that might be rushing water like you'd see like right before a waterfall. And yet people feel like they can be steady on their feet and they step right out into it. And that coursing water underneath, especially, you don't know what's down underneath all that water. It's a lot of power coming through there. You can get off your feet pretty quickly. And I read recently of a situation where thankfully the man that got swept away was recovered and rescued, but he stepped out 
in an area and he was not that familiar with the landscaping and he got pulled right into a culvert, mm. which is that, that piping that's underground. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when you're pulled into a culvert, there is no airspace. Exactly. He was lucky because most people are not. Now, when I was with the fire department back in the seventies, we had a man in our hometown that was driving down the street and it comes down to the park. It comes beside the railroad track and it was came down the hill and water had backed up. And he's looking at it and he's seeing about a foot of water in that area and he's thinking, I can drive through that. Well, he starts driving down through there and what he could not see is that the road made a 90-degree turn to the left. Uh-oh. And he drove right off into that creek, which the wall on that creek is about five foot tall. So he drove his car into about six and a half or seven feet of water, and that water pushed it down to that railroad bridge, and he drowned. He mm. died from that. Oh, and that's where they come with that turn around, don't drown. And we'll talk about that. Right, because people think that their heavy two-ton car or truck is way heavier and more powerful than, uh, you know, two six inches of water. But sure enough, you can drive right into it and you can come off of that traction and you're just a boat at that point. Especially with the speed and you hydroplane, yes. But now two feet of water, two feet of moving water can sweep away a car. Absolutely. And we've seen that in video where you just watch the car as it is taken downstream with the water. And when that car begins to fill with water, like you're talking about with this other victim, that can happen very, very quickly. Yeah, and this was at night, and so it's totally dark in there, and he's disoriented, and anyway. All right, let's talk about a little bit, just a little bit about some of the definitions that we're talking about here. Okay, so a flood is defined as an area that becomes submerged due to excess water. That makes sense. Most of our listeners would know that, Mm -hmm. but we wanted to go across it. Flood Watch says that there is a likelihood, or the likelihood is high, and expect the possibility of a flood. And that's usually going to happen when they're expecting a lot of rainfall Mm -hmm. or snow melt or whatever it is that's going to increase that amount of precipitation or water accumulation in your area. Like if you're at the valley of a high mountain at snow melt, you can expect some flood level water. Oh, yes, without a doubt. Now, a flood warning is saying that flooding is or is about to occur. So look for it. A flash flood is a sudden inundation in an area that is not normally receiving water. And it's amazing how these flash floods can approach. I remember being in Tombstone, Arizona, and we were right over the hill from the Sandlin Silver Mine. And there is a wash back there. We had some kids there and they wanted to go down there and look for silver in that wash. It was right back behind the house. Is that like what they call a dry gulch kind of thing? It was a dry gulch, exactly. Like they say in the movies? And the friend that we were staying with out there, he told me, he said, it's okay for those kids to be in there, but you get where you can see 100 yards or more back up the upstream. He said, because it may be sun shining here, and we may have water come rushing down that. And so you keep an eye to be able to get those kids out of there. And that's flash flood. That was coming from exactly what you're talking about. It's coming from somewhere else. 
but it's a huge amount of water that comes through. A flash flood watch is means that conditions are likely to cause flooding within 12 to 36 hours. And then a flash flood warning is that the flash flood is underway and it could reach you or the area you're in within 30 to 60 minutes. So what can we do? Well, there are several ideas, and the, the idea here is to reduce the potential damage. That's what we're wanting to do. Now, we talked about the things to stay alive, and we're going to talk more about that in a few minutes. But what we want to do is prepare well before a flood. Now, there are some things that we can do in our normal prepping just in case we have a flood that's coming our way and we don't have to scramble and take care of these. One of the things is to store items that could be damaged by the water well above the floor. Neighbor next to Dad had a house, and his basement was probably about one and a half concrete blocks too low. It really was. It's probably 14, 16 inches too low. And his house was getting flooded in the basement quite regularly. And so he had put concrete blocks standing up with boards on those, and he had nothing stored on the floor. The only thing sitting on the floor was the lawnmower. Everything else sat on shelves so that if water came in, it didn't damage whatever was in there. Now, you need to keep your paper goods off the floor. If you're in an area that, like you said, your basement flooded, you would not want your paper goods there. You wouldn't want box mills. And you know what I'm talking about, boxed meals, like mac and cheese. And I know one of our girls stores a lot of mac and cheese for the boys. Oh, yes. Anything that's in kind of a dry cardboard type Mm -hmm. of a box, of course. And that includes packaged flour or meal or even boxed rice. I noticed that you buy rice to use by the box from time to time. Mm -hmm, I do. Rather than the pack. We would not want that on the ground. Now, canned goods would probably withstand being in contact with the water. Depending on the water, you may want to clean them off after, but it's not so much the canned goods. They're, they're going to withstand it. Now, if they're in a cardboard box, that box is going to come apart. Well, also, too, think about if there's a long-term amount of water mm-hmm. on a canned good, it may delabel them. Mm-hmm. So that might be something to think about, too, is do you want to fish out and play a guessing game with your canned goods if all the labels come slipping off. What are we having for dinner tonight? I don't know. Four cans. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So definitely. And and talking about storing cans, it made me think of gas cans. If Mm -hmm. you're storing gas, fuel type gas, you want that above water level as well. You don't want any water getting into your gas. Well, you don't want it to float and turn over and the gas run out. Right. Exactly. So you've got both situations there. Now, when a flood becomes a possibility, and this is when we're watching the weather and we know that we're about to have a flood. Mm -hmm. Now, we regularly, a a good heavy rain will put some water across our patio. We're accustomed to that, and we have stored things in such a way that it doesn't get wet right there. And it doesn't, like, pour water all the way across. There's there's one low corner that about a half an inch of water wants Mm -hmm. to stand there. And it can be aggravating, but it's not a great big problem. But if we knew we were having a big flood or a real flood possibility, we'd want to secure any items on the porch or the patio or the yard that might float away. Such as? 
Propane tanks. Propane tanks, furniture, mm-hmm. the grills, the smoker. The cats. Uh, well, the cats are not going to be outside. <laughs> they better not be outside. <laughs> but yes, take into account anything that could be lifted and floated has to be secured mm-hmm. in some way. Child swimming pool, anything like that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Toys, what have you. So get those things secured put out of the way or tied down where they're going to stay. Something else you can do is to get some flood barrier items that would be near the vulnerable entrances for water. And what is a flood barrier? Something like a sandbag or there's even commercial barriers. I think they're mm-hmm. might, might made like a, like the struts that you see on the That street. or they are also made like a long tube, a balloon, a long rubber tube. I've seen that in construction zones. And they lay them down, and then they fill them up with water. And so that water holds it in place, and the more water that pushes against it, the more pressure it puts against the bottom of your door and keeps the water from going under the door. Yeah, so that helps to keep as much water as possible out of that entrance. Exactly. You're trying to avoid getting damage into your house. Exactly. We're trying to keep as much water out as we possibly can. Now, if this stuff's going to get real deep, and this happens in some of the surge areas after hurricanes, and that's to board up the first level windows that could become underwater. Mm. And it really helps if you can get some kind of rubber seal around that. And I wouldn't be opposed in the right situation of caulking along that board to be able to put more seal because it's not going to fit down. For example, the front of our house is brick. The wood is not going to fit snug on that brick under the window. So I wouldn't be opposed to caulking that. I can remove it later. Oh, sure. But we want to keep as much of that out as we possibly can. You're also going to want to unplug any appliances. If you know and suspect that water's going to come into your home, you may have plugs down on a close to the floor level, and you're going to want to unplug those just to prevent electrocution risk. You know, because the last thing you want, this is not even the last thing. You don't want this at all. You don't want live electricity flowing through water because water is one of the best conductors there is. Yeah, and another thing that you want to unplug that, and I'm thinking washing machine and I'm thinking refrigerators, is to get that plug up out of the water. Not all of those are waterproof, Mm -hmm. and you could get water in there. But you're also going to turn off all the utilities. Your gas, your electric, your water, Mm -hmm. any utility that you're paying for or any utility that is coming in, whether you're paying for it or not. Some people are not paying for their power that's coming in. But if it's a utility, get it shut down. Turn it off. Pull that main breaker and get your house very, very safe with that. And then get to higher ground. And don't wait too long. Don't keep putting it off. If you have an opportunity to get out while the getting's good, you better take that opportunity. And I say the same thing about hurricanes. You know, it's senseless and it's selfish to say, I'm going to ride this thing out. And then about halfway through the hurricane, you're yelling for help and you're willing to put someone else's life in danger because of the decision you made to stay. Yeah. And I realize that riding a hurricane is a personal decision. 
But you really got to also think about it, particularly if you're responsible for the lives and well-beings of others. Mm -hmm. If you've got a spouse, children, elders, whoever it is in your home for whom you are responsible, it makes no sense to force them to go along with your foolishness. Right. When the, even if it's a cat one or two and it may not do any damage at all, you can't guarantee that that hurricane won't increase in danger. Now, if you've grown up there and you've ridden out some cat ones, cat twos, that's a personal decision. I have friends down on the coast that if it's over a cat three, they're leaving. If it's cat three and under, but they've lived there all their life. And they know how their house will react because they have gone through several hurricanes. Me, when they get about her, when they're saying hurricane, <laughs> I'm ready to load up, you know. Yes, Let, let's I, go. I think it's far better to err on the side of caution mm-hmm. than to ever try to second guess Mother Nature. Yeah, we just made, if, if we didn't need to leave and we did, we just made a mini vacation because we couldn't go to work anyway. Something. So. Right. Something else to remember, too, is if you're if you're evacuating for a flood reason, do not leave your house pets behind. I can understand if you've got a barn full of horses or cows or something there. They have ways of finding ways to survive. But you can't walk off and leave your cats and your dog and your bird. You know, you can't uh, you just can't do that. Some people have left their animals in kennels outside. Mm-hmm. They've left them chained, tied, tethered. And the floodwaters rose. Well, guess what? Well, the dog can't. That, they can't underwater. get out of that. No. They they can't escape that. And don't leave them in the house because, like I said a while yeah. ago, I have actually seen where floodwaters went up seven feet on an eight foot ceiling. Yeah, and so there's just was, nowhere for a pet to go. And no, you, you can't do that. So you don't want to kill your pets because you didn't take them with you. Well, see, practical preppers already know to have that kennel ready and mm-hmm. get that kennel loaded with those cats, those dogs, that bunny rabbit, whatever it is that you've got to take out of the house with you. You best believe, I better find out that you took your pet. You best believe. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, this is the time to stay away from flooded areas. Yeah, this is not a sightseeing adventure. Nope. You but. don't have to start driving around town and start videotaping and being the little amateur journalist that you think you are. This is not the time, and you are not the person. And I've also seen people walking down the middle of the street in knee-deep water. They're going to go sightseeing. They're wanting to see what's going on in the neighborhood. Hey, you know what? You don't know what's in that water. No, you don't. You do not. No, you don't. (laughs) And there's a lot of bad things that can be in there. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But also, remember that two feet of water? It can sweep that car off the roadway. We've all seen those videos of people driving into the water and then having to be rescued from the car. You know what else I've seen? Some people are under the false impression that their car is an automatic boat, that it's just going to be upright and float. No, I've seen these cars get swept away. They get turned around and they start nosing over Mm -hmm. because they're filling with water. And as they fill with water, they become buoyant and they start rolling over. So, no, you're not floating in a boat at this point. You're in a capsule that could likely cost you your life if you don't hurry up and get out of there. And even if you are rescued from it and the car gets flooded, you know, cars don't fare well after floods. That's right. The value goes way down on them. And they're really, really hard to recover after that to make them actually usable. Which is also be careful uh, with what vehicles you buy. Not only has it been wrecked, but has it ever been through a flood? Well, you can usually find out if you're buying a car 
Yeah, they told these people, like after Hurricane Katrina, if you're suddenly buying a whole bunch of used cars from the New Orleans area, mm-hmm. be aware exactly. they've been underwater. This one you kind of alluded to a while ago, do not get near downed power lines. Yeah, you've got to be aware that if there's been a flooding situation and a lot of trees and roads get cracked up and uprooted, hey, listen, those power line poles are going to come down too. Mm -hmm. And they haven't automatically cut the power just automatically. You know, And the fuse may or may not pop. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to be within sight of that power line for that electricity to be able to get you. Because like you said a while ago, it is an excellent conductor of electricity. Mm -hmm. And we want to prevent electrocutions. Let's talk about what happens after a flood. We're going to get into some of your favorite territory here. Because water systems may become contaminated. Oh, you can just about guarantee it. And we've seen a lot of ball notices after floods. Even uh, up in Kentucky, not long ago, their entire water system went out, was contaminated, and they got the water flowing again, and they said, you still have to boil it. Mm -hmm. Because they still were dealing with, they they weren't able to treat the sewage that already got loose in the water. That's already Mm -hmm. out. That's away from the plant. So they can't treat that. So just treat flood water. Every drop of flood water is going to have some contamination. Yeah, it's dirty water. Even if it's coming out of your tap for a little while after, for some days after that, treat it like it's contaminated. You know, it's not just about clean water. After a flood, you've got to sanitize your faucets, your spigots, your spigots, the little spray, everything where water comes out that you can clean. You've got to sanitize Mm -hmm. that as well. You need to know how to filter and purify water. And have several ways to do so. Absolutely. Now, one that we carry in our bags, there's two in a box over there, and we've got several more around here, and that's personal water filters. We like the idea of having those with us. Those are portable. Now, they're not great for cooking because you got to get the water through it. And now the Sawyer Mini, you can attach a bottle to it, and turn it up and squeeze the bottle and run the water through it. But I think a live straw, you'd have to get a mouthful and spit it in the pot and Ugh. continue to do that. Yeah, that's, so not, that's not clean. That's not a good way to go. Now, you can get some gravity filtering systems. Berkey makes a great system that sits on the counter. And we drank water from a Berkey here a couple of weeks ago. And they make several different sizes, oh, depending yes. on your household needs. Yeah, and our son-in-law and daughter has a... Berkey that is a pot, not a pot, but it's a container that goes into, you fill it, put it in the refrigerator, it chills, and it will drain water so that when you pour water out of it, it's filtered water. Very good. And so that's a great way to do it. You can also use, and I think Sawyer and Lifestraw make these, and it's a bag system that you can hang up. It holds a few gallons of water. And it drains via a hose through a filter and then comes out so you can fill up, you know, you can filter gallons of water at a time. Oh, okay. Now, it's a little slow process, as they all are, but it, because it takes a little bit to get that stuff out. Now, without a filter system, you can, without a commercial filter, you can filter it and boil it. And when I'm talking about filtering here... You can run it through a coffee filter. You can put that on top of a jar and slowly pour it through. 
I've done that when I've had to boil the coffee in the water and then just pour it through there and it drains the, it, it filters out the grounds. You can do the same thing when you are cleaning drinking water is you can pour it through there. That gets the chunky stuff, as I call right. it. Right. It's going to remove some of the larger particles. Mm-hmm. It's not going to disinfect the water until you boil it. But exactly. You're filtering the big stuff, and then you're boiling what remains to right. kill off any harmful bacteria. Now, there are also some sand and gravel systems that you can build that you can filter water, and you can build these in a two-liter drink bottle. You can build them in a five-gallon bucket, depending on how much water you need. And there's all kinds of plans for those on the Internet. But you need to have a way to filter and to purify your water. Now, also, when the water is receding and your electrical outlets are once again exposed, be very, very cautious about reestablishing your utility connections. There can be water still inside those electrical outlets or mm-hmm. those the old-timey phone jacks and any type of hole or system that might be in your wall. I mean, water's going to go there, so you've got to be very cautious. Yeah, it's going to go to the inside of the wall, too. If it's flooded above floor level, it's going to seep into that wall. And you may have that water in that outlet, and you may also have water inside the combustion chamber on your heating units. Oh. There's a lot of places. Now, when you turned all of the utilities off, you shut off the pilot lights and everything. So unless you're really familiar with restarting the pilot lights, that needs to be done by professionals. And I would say if we've had water in here above outlets, we're going to have an electrician come in here and tell us that it's okay to turn the water back on because we don't want that burning down the house. True. You need to also be very careful where you put your hands. Consider every drop of water contaminated. And a lot of times, flood water is never clear water. Flood water is always muddy, murky, dirty water. You can't see through it. I do remember seeing video of sea creatures flowing through flood water in you know parts of Florida. And so folks were realizing that uh, little baby sharks were flowing through there. There were swordfish, barracuda, and in swamp areas, there are snapping turtles. There are cottonmouth snakes. There's alligators. There's. It, it doesn't have to be a swamp area now to be an alligator in there. Well, that's they're true. going across major highways. <laughs> that's and, true. And even in Huntsville, Alabama, they've been spotted. That's true. And so you've got to understand that there are water creatures in water, and they're just as displaced as you might be, and they they don't want to be there. But there they are, mm-hmm. and so you just need to be very cautious about where you're stepping, what you're stepping on and in and on top of. So just you've got to, you've got to keep your caution antenna up all mm-hmm. the time. You know why an alligator has the right of way when you encounter the alligator? No. He can't read where the crossing signs are. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, he's got the right of way for the whole town. That he does. All right, the last thing we're going to say here, and this is good anytime, but don't put any part of your body where your eyes have not been. Don't stick your hand in this hole in the wall or, you know, behind a, a counter or behind 
down under the cabinets and things like that You've because destroyed. there could be a snake in there. They seek out drier areas. They don't. They're not going to live their life underwater, and this flood may last a while. So they're seeking out higher ground, and your dish cabinet may be the higher ground they find. Exactly. So don't open it up and just reach in there. Pay very, very close attention. You have those snakes. You can have the rodents. And uh, you've already mentioned the things that can come in some of the coastal areas. I've never seen a barracuda, and I definitely don't want to be meeting one after a flood. They're aggressive. They'll jump in the boat after you when you're out fishing for them. Well, and they'll hurt you bad. Yep. Okay. Anything else we want to add here to this one? Just be weather aware. Pay very close attention to rainfall forecast amounts. Pay very close attention to where you happen to live. Are you living in or near a floodplain? You need to know that. And um, a lot of people don't. Well, we didn't get into it, but this is something that you listeners can do on your own. But you may want to review your homeowner's insurance because flood damage is not automatically covered. Mm -hmm. So be aware of what type of flood insurance you may have to also look into. And part of that depends on where you live. Now, the folks up the street, you know, they live 40 feet higher than we do just by going up the hill, if not more. And so if we have to leave, we're going up there and visit them <laughs> right. because if, if the water gets up there, the entire city is going to be underwater and yeah. Noah is going to have animals lining up two by two. So, <laughs> Because floods happen. So you need to stay prepared. And we'll see you next time. You can reach us on Facebook at Practical Prepping. You can email us at info at practicalprepping.info. And our website is practicalprepping.info. And remember, stuff happens. Stay prepared.